Welcome to the Financial MD Show. This is the only podcast designed specifically for residents and young physicians to help you become educated on financial planning for physicians and avoid many of the common financial mistakes doctors make. Your hosts, John and Trevor, explore a different topic with each episode. John Salitro is a financial planner and certified financial education instructor. He's been working with young physicians for the better part of a decade and lectures to graduate medical programs around the country. Dr. Trevor Smith is a board-certified ophthalmologist with a full-time practice, and he has learned the ins and outs firsthand, what it takes to make smart financial decisions as a young physician. And now, here's your hosts, John and Trevor. Welcome, everyone, to today's episode of the Financial MD Show. Today, we've got a few different equipment updates and changes. We've got a full audio version today. And on the video version, if you really want to see that, we'll have a secret one because it'll be just me with a mustache. We've got myself, John Salitro, and joining us as always, Dr. Trevor Smith. How are you, buddy? I'm doing well. How you doing, man? Life is good. I'm um, running through a new computer, actually. I figured I'd been dealing with this 10-year-old iMac long enough, and it was starting to get like nothing I could do was updating anymore. So I'm playing with a new one, but it seems to be pretty good. Nice. They're really pretty machines, too. It's like maybe an inch thick not even kind of looks like a giant ipad on the stand but yeah it's neat so we'll see i'm uh kind of test driving it but it's been a good summer if you're hearing this it's being recorded in august of 2022 we are nearing the end of summer for those of us that kids and are preparing for days of school next week i'll be out up north in michigan we call that basically anything north of what st john's mount pleasant yeah lansing <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> really for a lot of people. We'll be heading that way for five days with a few other families, renting a house, doing that thing. Just, I don't know why. It'll be good. But um, <laughs> it's just hard to relax. A bunch of kids running around and it's good. We made sure this time that we got a place with a little bit of property and some water, which is more of a large pond, I think. But last time we rented a place last summer with four families up in the Boyne Mountain Resort area, which was nice, but there was nothing to do outside in the summertime. Mm -hmm. uh, we had to go Golf. places. There's some golfing up there, right? I think. Yeah, but six, nine, and 10 year old occupied. Yeah. Not a chance. Yeah. So it was like a condo type of setting. So they're running around outside, and I'm like, guys, don't touch that. Be quiet. Stop. But, you know, and so like we had to mm -hmm. do a lot. Like, let's go for a walk. Let's go for a hike. Let's go for this or that. So we found some lakes to go to. We did Petoskey one day. We did another inland lake deer lake i think it was one day we did a river rafting like we had these look like mini whitewater raft inflatable rafts and took them just floated down the river up there and that was actually a really good time that turned out great we'll see we're hoping this time for some more stuff to do on site and that'll be the end of our summer and then the next monday school will start before labor day oddly enough which isn't I swear, when we were kids, it used to always be after Labor Day, but mm -hmm. times change. It's true. How's your summer been? Great. Now I started a new job. I'm uh, back into full-time ophthalmology, which mm -hmm. uh, fortunately with my negotiation is not five days a week. So a little bit less than that, which is great. Getting into that yeah. regular kind of ophthalmology career stuff after doing mission work in Jamaica last year. Regularity of schedule and substantially less travel has been very welcome 
and refreshing and all that kind of it's been a good summer yeah just enjoying and the freedom that comes with having a little extra time during the work week so it's easy to get just the regular stuff done working five days a week eight to five which is what every normal person does that's for schmucks yeah it's really tough to like get your personal (laughs) stuff done like everything is outside of business hours it's just tough to like to do and get done a lot of other things so the freedom that comes with that has been really nice i did that on purpose and wouldn't have taken a job that didn't have that style so it's uh you know when you live out your values it's always like a good satisfying kind of mentally beneficial thing to do Mm -hmm. so being a few years out of residency it takes a little time to figure out what you're looking for and and for me it certainly was a little bit less time in the office and now i enjoy my job way more i enjoy my patients more because it's not just like such a grind wall-to-wall work it's more like there's some space in there and we got a supportive team and they have long-term thinking so they're keeping really close track of the numbers and keeping just the business component in mind so that I kind of can just focus on the care. I don't have to worry about the business not doing well because they're long-term oriented. They're not just trying to pay this month's bills. And that can be a thing in certain places. And it's a good thing. Yeah. You don't, and you don't know exactly what you're going to get before you start somewhere. So there's some good truth there, which maybe we'll spend another show on that of just the mental health of that for one. And this speaks to a couple of things to the, the audience that we're talking to, to you guys that are, you're either a resident now, maybe you're a med student, maybe you're attending. Either way, there's a high likelihood that you're working a lot. You know, even if it's 40 hours, there's the drive time, there's all that kind of stuff, which makes it hard to have a life outside. And one could argue that this nine to five, 40 hour work week has not been around for more than the last few generations. There's probably some studies to that that I don't know the history well enough to say, but um, I feel like I've heard that. Either way, it makes it difficult to do things like financial planning. And so mm-hmm. yep. when we go in and do a workshop or a lecture somewhere and legitimately plenty of the residents or young attendings want to meet or talk about their personal finances, trying to actually nail down a time. Being a financial planner for doctors means you're going to work some evenings. And that's just <laughs> the way it is. And uh, yep. that's great or healthy or whatever the case might be. But that's what we do here is try to make young doctors healthier financially. So we have to make certain adjustments ourselves. But to you, Trevor, I know what you've been through the last few years, whether it was working a lot in private practice, working a lot in nonprofit, mission work, whatever the case might be. There was maybe a lot of work, a little money. Sometimes there was good money. Right now, I would venture to say, because I'm kind of your unofficial financial planner and you're your own financial planner, but we talk and I know the money's good for what you need to do and for the time that you've got. And it seems like a pretty good balance that you found. Yep. That was the goal. <laughs> yeah. And so I would encourage, and I'm sure you would too, any of you attendings out there getting into work, you're starting to see and they put this out there on purpose. Oh man, I'm getting 250,000 now. That's great. But if I hustle a little bit, I can make three, 350 and work harder. Boy, that mm-hmm. sounds good. Imagine what I could do with that. Like I right. throw that out there that maybe it's just not worth it. Yeah. It depends on where you're at. I mean, if you're loving it and you're like, I just want to do more, that's cool. But if you're doing it because you feel like you have to, or because you're, you know, the debt you feel like is never going to go away. That kind mm-hmm. of stuff. The debt, it's going to go away. You are going to pay it off. It's great to sacrifice and live like a resident for extra years and stuff too. But that yeah. might not be where you're at. You might need a little bit of space. You might want an extra day off a week. And those jobs can be found. Absolutely. So I think the key is there's no 
broad answer of you know life balance or work less mm -hmm. you got to know what you want and that takes a lot of time and effort to to sit down and actually decide that then to act it out and, and then find finally it. yeah find it. yeah it's like a three-stage process now, and that so. speaks to i think our topic today we're going to talk about alternatives like being an independent contractor or a business owner and the pros and cons of that and one of the big ones is you control your schedule a lot better mm -hmm. you know for the most part, now there's certain like ER jobs where they give you a schedule, you got to do it, but it's still a 1099 pay. Mm -hmm. But a lot of times if you're doing shift work or locums or even uh, self-employed, you're, you're kind of starting a little small practice, you've got more flexibility on the schedule then. Yeah, there's a lot of different ways to do 1099 work. Some people, it's just picking up extra shifts and if it's totally ad hoc, <laughs> yeah, you have full freedom to just not do it for a month or two. Some places require a minimum, and then they have a schedule, a seniority of who gets to choose first, and all of a sudden you're stuck not going out of vacation six months down the road just because you wanted to pick up some extra shifts here and there, and you're contractually obligated. So all those, like, everything comes down to contracts and making sure you know what you get yourself into, but there's a lot of money out there for a little bit of extra work on the side. You were just talking about how one of the, we were talking about tax stuff. There are tax things you can do. That's really, really getting into the weeds, I think, and you know, mm -hmm. LLP or S Corp and different things. You can read articles on that because it is pretty highly specific. And even some of those benefits have changed over the years. So they've changed enough that like, yeah, you get, you'd have to talk to your CPA to even find out if, if that's even a benefit. But the real one we were just chatting about that everybody loves is being able to do a solo 401k. If, if you're just, mm -hmm. your main gig is 1099 meaning you're an independent contractor, you run your own business and someone is paying you as a consultant to come in and do some, some work, medical work or otherwise. Yep. That is definitely a nice thing to be able to put money into your retirement account. It's a super powered way of putting money away. If it's at all possible, basically to be 1099 or W2. For me, I always want to be 1099 because mm -hmm. the especially if I didn't like last year, I didn't have a W2. I was just doing contract work locums. Mm -hmm. Okay. And that let me put away a, most of my salary other than what I lived on into my retirement account. Cause you can put in like almost $60,000 between your own personal mm -hmm. contract and then you're your own employer. So then you can put in another almost 40,000. So 20,000 and then 40,000 roughly. These numbers vary by year and it doesn't matter too much, but it's in the range of 20 yourself. And then you, that's called an employee contribution and then an employer contribution for a solo 401k can be another 40,000 as long as you haven't put money into any other retirement. That's like the total max amount you can do. Yep. And that's one of the best perks and starting your own 401k is like thousand bucks, $1,500, something like that. Yep. It's not too expensive. It's a one-time thing. Some companies will do recurring fees to like process paperwork and stuff, but you can just do that typically on your own it has to get, I think over 150k to have to file anything anyways or maybe it's 250 I think it's uh, 250 anyway yep so it's just like some paperwork we're talking about like basic IRS documentation it's very easy to do your CPA your accountant can do that for you I didn't think it was too tough there's a decent industry around solo stuff now like there's also some scams some scammy stuff out there so you certainly want to do your research on making sure whatever company uses is a real place but they end up contracting with a bank to kind of coordinate a lot of that stuff so they end up doing a little bit of legal work on the front end mm -hmm. 
to establish your plan. And then you end up kind of just sending them some money and they put it in the bank. It's not too bad. There definitely are some scammy things in that area that promise more than they legally can deliver. I personally, I don't mind saying I used IRA Financial. I like them. They're out of Florida. They're out of Miami. Adam Newman is the guy from WeWork. (laughs) This guy's name is Adam Kaufman. Okay. Yeah. 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 He's got a good. So Adam Newman, I wanted to say Adam Newman. He's the guy who did WeWork, the, the big publicly traded company, massive fiasco, you know, the whole yeah. thing. I just heard a podcast about him. So that was on mine. But Adam Kaufman is the guy who does IRA Financial. They're great. He puts out a lot of free educational content on his YouTube page. And, uh, and they do a self-directed IRA or self-directed yeah, 401k? They do or... all the above. They kind of do all the self-directed stuff. They okay. do self-directed IRA, Roth IRA, solo 401k and solo 401ks with them. And with most people, you can have a traditional arm, which is pre-tax contributions and uh, post-tax contributions. You can do either one. Again, your max ends up being that like 60k. I believe that's the way that you can, that's, that's the vehicle with the maximum amount of Roth contribution is a solo 401k. Yes. Uh, in terms of directly con- contributing, there's ways of creating an account and then converting it and stuff like that. But this is, you can do a true Roth contribution directly. Of Yeah. And if them. they don't get rid of it in any legislation, there's this super Roth. Uh, it's been called different things, but you're basically, there's a third contribution you can make in 401ks called just basically post-tax contributions or after-tax contributions that aren't Roth. So it's kind of a hybrid where they would go in after tax, but then the growth they get will be tax deferred and taxed later. So you won't be taxed on the principal when you take it out, but you'll be taxed on the growth or the gains. But that's a way to, you could max out your 20500 into a Roth contribution, and then you could do the rest of it, so another forty in after tax employee contributions. Which then you convert into the Roth bucket in your 401k. So there is ways to get 60,000. And again, this has been on the table to be cut in legislation before, but for now it's possible. I have anesthesiologists doing that. And Mm -hmm. a couple of reasons they've got a unique situation. Their husband and wife, anesthesiologists, both 1099. And without going too deep in the weeds, they started a solo 401k maxing that out both employee employer and then they started a cash balance plan and mm-hmm. are doing that as well and then the husband is doing some moonlighting with a company that has a 401k so he's doing that with some after-tax contributions so they're truly maximizing their income in that sense and it's pretty cool it warms my heart to see them <laughs> take advantage of all those different benefits of being a business owner or self-employed right like trevor said there's some paperwork to it and things but i think once you get over the IRA limit of $6,000, mm-hmm. it doesn't take too much more to make the math work. If it costs you 1000 or 2000 bucks a year to administer this 401k, you know, at a 30% tax rate, you have to put another 6000 to make that worthwhile to save that much in taxes. And so anything beyond that is just pure savings. Makes a ton of sense. And Trevor, you're able to, with self-directed ones, you can invest those in a lot of different things, whether it's real estate or other alternative investments, right? Yeah. You can basically do whatever you want with it, as long as it doesn't violate some pretty specific rules. There's a number of them and they'll be in your your plan documents. Mm-hmm. If you've got a good company that you're working with, IRA Financial, I can email them just their compliance department to say, hey, can I put money in this? And if I do, how does that work? 
Oh, cool. And there's some pretty creative ways of deploying money. And then if you're in a Roth, you know, like whatever you do with it, anything you make on it, you never, ever, ever have to pay anything extra on it. Yep. That's a nice just peace of mind when I'm working with that portion. Now, the trick is the earnings have to stay in that self-directed, right? It's all got to be, yeah, it's like it's sitting on an island. You can't mix it with anything else and you can't mix it with family stuff and you can't mix it with your own businesses. But you can do pretty much anything you else you want with it. You can go into other people's businesses, which would be like buying a stock. I mean, it's a little like mm-hmm. the most, right? But it could be a privately traded company or it could be. Um, so you couldn't invest it in something you own, real estate something like that now there's certain things you can do with real estate which i don't mess with real estate as you know it's just Mm -hmm. that's just the territory that i don't know well enough to be able to outcompete other very very smart people winner take all to a degree in like local real estate markets i don't mess with that but it does let you do alternatives like so if you wanted to get gold which is certainly being talked about right now if you want to find inflation hedging assets that are non-custody meaning like the bank doesn't just hold them on your behalf or like with stocks, yep. they're basically certificates held two, three parties away. Mm-hmm. If you want other things like that, like hard assets, then yep. you can use the money to buy the hard assets. And then it's just, yeah, it's part of your Roth IRA. So if you make money off of them, that money has to stay there. You can't just you can't withdraw, you know, that's, yep. you get paid penalties for that kind of thing. So that's why you can't be buying stuff with you in your own business and other things like that. So, but you can buy gold physical, literal gold, silver, gives you some freedom that you otherwise wouldn't have in your 401k with your company. I tried to sacrifice and live like a resident so that I could put as much of my early career away into that, knowing that I probably will be W2 later and not really be able to put anything into that, not be self-directed necessarily for a long period of time. It's probably my only funds I can do whatever I want with for a a while, potentially. Yeah. So that's... uh... That's one of the big benefits, obviously, that comes to mind for us. I think equal to that, uh, depending on how you use it, is just the ability to have business expenses and deduct more of your income typically than a W-2 can. There's just so much more available to you. Um, They greatly limit the tax deductions that a W-2 can make. Very few things you can itemize. And now with the standard deduction, it's even less. So if you are a business owner and you have what's called Schedule C income, which is synonymous pretty much with 1099 income, then you're able to have a lot of leeway on business expenses, portion of your house or rent or utilities you can deduct or travel or all those kind of things. And last I checked with, say, travel, the mileage was at least 55 cents a mile. I don't know what it is now, but that's a big thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, Maybe it makes more sense today if they haven't caught up with it to deduct actual fuel prices, but that can be huge. So Those are the big things that at the end of the day, even if you maybe end up making less as a W-2 or more as a W-2, you've got to factor in all these other benefits that you're getting long-term. Like Trevor was saying, yeah, yeah, you're putting away now more in your 401k. You're not keeping as much to spend on your things today, but you'll be glad you did later. And then the the things that you can deduct now, it's huge. I think most of the people that we talk to want to keep more money versus giving it to the government if they don't have to. Yeah. I was just thinking about the benefits. It's one of those, it's easy to want to think that it's simple. So it's like, oh, I've got a W-2. These benefits are great. Wow. Like, man, you know, people like the safety of that. Okay. Now I've got a job and it's secure and now I've got these benefits. Well, I think 
very few people have or maybe even ever will sit down and do an apples to apples. If you're a curious individual, make a chart and write down all the things you get from work and then all the things you'd have to pay if you're doing like locums and doing some some travel and all that. Yeah. And then look at what your locums job would cover. So they cover pretty much everything except for food. If you do that apples to apples comparison, you'll find like health insurance is quote unquote expensive, right? But like, have you ever looked? Yeah. Uh, have you right. ever looked to see how expensive it is? Because for a doctor, it's pretty unlikely that you're going to look at it and go, oh my gosh, this is so <laughs> expensive. I have to take this job. Yeah. Because as a percentage of your income, you buying your own insurance as someone in your 30s or 40s is substantially less than you probably would guess that it is. It could be $350 a month. And that's kind of a maybe an old school car payment. I mean, you know, car payments now are a little higher, but $350 a month. Okay. Let's say it's $500. Let's say it's $700. And yeah. you're doing locum somewhere. If you're a radiologist and you're making $2,500 a day mm-hmm. and you're worried about a $700 a month health insurance payment, I mean, right. you could get the best health insurance you, that money can buy for probably like a thousand, probably a thousand, maybe $2,000 max deductible HSA plan. Yep. So I think about these benefits. I think people just assume they're good. Like a lot of things we assume like, oh, it must be it's benefits and I'm a doctor and I'm at a hospital, so they must be good. And that's not usually the case. I mean, I see a lot of benefits for our physician clients. So I've I've seen enough sampling to know a lot of them. They'll take their spouse's benefits that are working somewhere else because that's not great. Yeah. Hospitals don't usually provide that great of benefits unless you work somewhere like Mayo Clinic, certain like really well-known institutions that are known for treating their physicians well. They have ridiculous benefits that you just would take your breath away. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's pretty wild. They might have two, three retirement plans or two, two retirement options and a pension and all that kind of stuff. That's a kind of a different scenario, but your typical just private practice or hospital, you're getting the same insurance as the technician in your office that, you know, has a high school education and some credentials and they're great. And there's, I'm not saying they're not smart. They're smart and you're glad they're there, but you have the same benefits as them because that's what your company is required to do. It has to be equal distribution of benefits. By being a 1099, you can actually buy the good insurance that you want, for example. And then So let's go through a couple other categories. Malpractice, you might think that's really expensive. Well, it might be like $800 a month. That's like Mm -hmm. a typical kind of early career amount. It's more as you get through your career and they kind of balance it out. But 800 bucks, it's like not that crazy. It might be like five, they might have a promo thing when you first get out of residency. Or always look at your associations for stuff like that too. You might find some decent discounts with you joining association always for shopping around because now you're you're the only buyer right even groups they they don't switch very often but if you shop around you can get a massive discount and sometimes they'll even like cover your tail coverage you know seal that yeah previous practice to remember there's all sorts of things you can do by just kind of shopping around a little bit all that to say that's not that expensive either those are probably the top two things people would say are like oh i'm so glad they cover my uh, practice and my health and you're talking about fifteen hundred dollars a month it's Kind of silly. And then you could, for how much you're going to save and what you can put away in your own solo 401k. And if they have minimal matching, a lot of doctors get like one, three, 5% matching. Some places are generous. You know, you might get 10 plus, but not that common. So I think people are often making this decision based on qualitative feeling of benefits rather than a quantitative apples to apples on how do I want to make my money? How do I want to keep my money? 
and would I spend it better than my company would spend it or my potential company? Yep. And that's the real question. I don't think people do that. I don't know why that is. It's the same thing I always say, like people will work their butts off to get their money. And then they like almost don't care what happens with it after that. They just want to put it in the bank and they don't want to think about it. Yep. Or they, they hire somebody to do it who just doesn't have the same incentive to keep track. So if you have something that helps you set it up, you know, that's kind of what you do. You set it up. You give a lot of great input. You check in periodically, but people don't often prompt themselves to do those same things. Mm -hmm. No, they don't. And that's, I think, like you said, where a financial planner comes into play. Whoever you're using, make sure it's somebody that's going to touch base regularly and is reviewing everything. It should be comprehensive financial planning. And you're probably going to pay more as a business owner or self-employed because there's more to it, but you're going to get more service. You're going to have somebody who's going to say, hey, we're going to be doing some tax planning and looking ahead at taking advantage of some of the benefits of being a self-employed or business owner. And we're making sure you're shopping this around. Even with our employee W-2 clients here, we're making sure every couple of years they're shopping out their home and auto insurance. And so if you're working with a comprehensive financial planner, then if they're doing what they're supposed to do, they're reminding you of those timely things to say, hey, it's been a couple of years uh, or even on a yearly basis, heck. And they will have contacts and people that they know to help you shop out these things or resources or places to go to. So I think that also comes back to the idea of finding a specialist in terms of helping you with your financial planning, finding someone that you can sleep better at night knowing you've delegated this stuff. They're keeping an eye on these things. They're asking the right questions. They're going through the right checklist every year. So we're not making this out to be an easy, simple thing for sure. The W-2 is the dummy-proof turnkey way to just get paid and have a job. But if you want to take a little bit more organization and thinking through and a little effort on the side, it can be financially better in the long run. But do that apples to apples like Trevor was talking about. Add up everything you get in your benefits, your employer match, the portion of the health insurance they pay for, the malpractice, all those things, plus your salary compare it to a similar 1099 where they're not covering anything, you'll find it'll be close. And even if it's close, then the other ancillary benefits you get from being able to have more in a 401k or more tax deductions or whatever the case might be, it may right. be worth it. Yeah, absolutely. And if you're running, if you have like a little boutique practice and you run it small, you may actually also get a lot more of your time back and be breaking even or making more. Yeah. You at least have control over that for sure. Yeah. Which is not everybody in a 1099 situation. I'd say probably most docs in a 1099 situation still kind of have more of an employee. They're working for somebody else, right? Relationship. Paid on, under the table, so to speak. Because <laughs> they're going to uh, report it. Yeah. 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 It's very above the table. That's why it's, you know, on a 1099. But it's definitely direct. It's direct payment. And you yeah. figure out your own expenses. It's like. They're not withholding. Remember that. Right. You know. Yeah. So they give you, you go work a week somewhere and they give you, you know. 12 grand or something. Well, I guess maybe even more probably for, for most 12 grand, 14 grand. Yeah. And then, yeah, you gotta, you gotta take your taxes out on that yourself right away. That's not all your money, right? Yeah. Yeah. You gotta uh, do that right away. And then, oh boy, if I could tell you my couple of years yeah. in the business, I met a guy who was an ER doc in Ohio. I've been in practice two or three years and he said, yeah, I really can't do anything right now. I've got to pay off this debt to the IRS. I owe them like $150,000 because I forgot to pay my taxes the last few years. I'm like, Hi, okay. <laughs> you just thought this was all your money? Like, okay. But that happens. That's wild. So that's easy to do, especially if you're making big money and 1099. I think that can happen to people pretty quick. 
yeah, they'll figure it out later. You're like, wait a minute. That was a lot of weeks of work. That yep. was a lot of multi-thousand dollar checks. And I owe a decent chunk of that to somebody else. Well, and quite frankly, if you don't start paying quarterly after a year or two of that, then the IRS does have an issue with that because they don't want that to happen. They don't want you owing them buttloads of money. So they're going to say, okay, you need to start paying quarterly. And if you don't, there's going to be some penalties there. So be paying yep. quarterly helps, but still every paycheck set aside whatever your CPA or is going to recommend there. A lot of things to be aware of. It's not yep. turnkey, but it's not hard either. And you'll get the hang of it. And it may be worthwhile for some of you. So ask us questions if you've got, if you're considering it, if you want to know if it's right for you. We'd love to talk about it more. If you're considering some opportunities that you want to shoot our way, Trevor and I are both happy to look at it and give you some of our advice and just experience. But we're out here to eradicate physician financial illiteracy. So hopefully this made you a little bit smarter today and maybe gave you an edge somewhere down the road and you'll come back and or just give us a five-star review. <laughs> yeah, I was going to plug a book too. The Medical Entrepreneur is a, is a oh, pretty cool. solid medical entrepreneur a plastic surgeon wrote it he's started and sold multiple companies mm -hmm. and has practiced the whole time and he does a good oh. once over if you're just thinking about starting your own private practice or your little side gig business or whatever it is it's very broadly applicable to just starting any business mm -hmm. but it's from a doctor's perspective so it kind of helps a doctors where they're at i found that one really helpful it's sort of like reading a lot of articles just putting them all together into a book very topical, but he pulls in expert opinions like CPAs and lawyers on different components. Cool. So I recommend that one. I, I enjoyed it. And uh, I've even bought it for a couple of people that are non-doctors and they found it like a nice, helpful, basic starting your own business book for their non-medical businesses. It's a good one. Awesome. All right. We'll have a link to that in the show notes. Lastly, I want to remind you, please share these shows if you're finding any benefit in these then somebody else is going to as well so please help us to eradicate physician financial illiteracy and share these shows it's easy to do in your apps leave us a review that helps again more physicians find out about these shows and the other things that are out there so if this is the only place you're hearing about us get onto the social media our instagram and tiktok are updated all the time these videos, we do a weekly didactic minute video with some more financial tips, some links to school articles. We have a financial MD community, which is a Facebook group just for physicians where we're talking and giving and getting tips there as well. So plenty of places to follow us. Last but not least, go to financialmd.com if you're not catching anything that I just said. It's all there. And uh, we'd love to chat more. With that, we'll be saying adieu. This is John Salitro and my pal Trevor Smith. Thank you, sir. And uh, we'll see you next time. Later, John. Bye, everybody. Thanks for joining us for another Financial MD show. Be sure to head over to financialmd.com to get more in depth resources on financial tips for physicians. And don't forget to join the Financial MD community group on Facebook, where physicians at all stages of their career gather to share tips and get ideas on achieving true financial success. We'll see you next time. The Financial MD show is for informational purposes only and is not an offer to invest, is not financial, tax, or legal advice. Be sure to seek financial, legal, or tax professionals when making any financial decisions. Before investing, you should make sure that any investment strategy or investment meets your individual investment needs, goals, and objectives.
FinancialMD makes no claims or guarantees to individual investment performance. All investing involves the risk of loss as well as the potential for gain.